uh, to hear God's Word. Uh, we do that, one, by paying reverence to the text, knowing that this is God's Word, that God is speaking to us. Uh, so we do that here by, by standing and paying reverence for the text. So stand with me now as we hear God's Holy Word. First, Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this he called you through our gospel so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by spoken word or by our letter. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. Amen. Please be seated. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we bow before your throne now. We thank you that you are a gracious and merciful God. God, you show us yourself in so many ways. And you care for us so uniquely. You are loving. You are righteous. You are holy. So, Father, we thank you this morning for who you are. Simply and truly, you are the God above all gods. The only true God. And, Father, when we enter your presence, we are made aware of how far short we fall. Uh, this morning, God, we confess our lack of trust in you. God, we, we, we confess our anxiety and our doubt uh, with the things of this world. Father, we, we confess that we are too easily alarmed and shaken in our faith when we see things happening around us. Father, help us in our unbelief. Uh, dear God, we pray for those in our midst who are hurting. We pray specifically this morning for uh, Ken Tedder. We pray that you would continue to heal him as he's battling this, this chemotherapy. We pray specifically for his spirit, God. We pray that you would just comfort him, remind him of your great peace that you've given us through Christ. Father, we pray for Jerry Green. We pray that you would continue to heal him, be with him. We pray for Jonathan McGirt, God, and just the, the situation that you know exactly what he needs. Father, we pray that you would just open a way uh, for him to get that specialized care in New York. Father, we lift up Melissa and Devin Palu to you now. God, we pray for healing for Melissa. We pray that you would restore um, feeling in her legs, God. And we pray that you would give the doctors precise wisdom, exactly knowing what's wrong, God. We pray these steroids, even now, God, would, would, would allow some function to come back to her legs. God, we pray for, for just the recovery and all that's going to, to have to come through it. God, we pray that you would just meet Devin and Melissa by your grace. We pray for their spirits, Lord. We pray that when they are tempted to doubt you, God, that you would remind them again and again of how you have been faithful to them. So, Father, we pray that you would, would work your will in Devin and Melissa's life. Father, we pray for the needs of our community. We pray for the preaching of the gospel uh, here in Rock Hill and Fort Mill. We pray for Jeff Bedwell this morning at Fort Mill First Baptist. God, we pray that as he preaches that you would anoint his words. And we pray, God, as he is dealing with the, the family health of his wife, God, that you would be with his wife, Wendy. God, that you would heal her, Father, that you would prolong her days. And God, in the midst of this suffering, God, that you would anoint a Pastor Jeff's preaching. 
that that congregation would be built up and encouraged in the faith. Father, now we, we pray for um, our world. God, you know what's happening in our world. Uh, Father, the, uh, the, the, the need for your gospel to, to bear fruit in different parts of the world. So, Father, this morning we pray for Egypt. We pray that your gospel would reign there. We pray for the missionaries on the ground that as they preach the word and they share the gospel with those who are lost, that you would come, they would come to know and believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Father, we pray now for our own hearts as we come before you. Father, we just pray against uh, distractions. Lord, many of us have many things to do this Christmas season. Many of us are overtaken with busyness and feeling overwhelmed. God, I pray that right now you would quiet our hearts and our minds. That when the word of God is proclaimed, when the word of God is spoken, that our hearts would be humble enough to hear and obey. Dear God, we do not want to hear more words of a man. We want to hear a word from God. So God, I pray by the power of the Holy Spirit of God that you would speak through your servant, that I may decrease and that you may increase, that you would build up your people to be formed and shaped into the likeness of Christ, who is the head of the church, God. Uh, who has come as a, as a baby, raised as a man, lived a perfect life, died and rose again, and has promised to come again. So, Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray that you would bless your people through the preaching of his word. We ask this in his name. Amen. So in the fall of 1987, uh, Henry Dempsey, who was a pilot ocean, uh, he was. He heard a noise in the back of the plane, so he asked his co-pilot to take the the handle. Uh, he went to the back of uh, the plane, and all of a sudden, uh, there was a kind of a sudden bust of uh, turbulence. And he went and hit the, the 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 door, the plane of the door, and the the door opened. And when the door opened, he grabbed on to the, to the railing, and just held on for dear life. Uh, he held on uh, for ten minutes. The plane going 190 miles an hour. Uh, the pilot realized that he probably fell out over the middle of the Atlantic Ocean, landed at the nearest possible airport. Uh, when they got there, they, they saw him hanging 12 feet above the ground, his hands uh, prying so, so close to that railing that they had to be pried off uh, to make sure that he um, could, could go on. What he did that day is he held on for dear life. Because he knew that if he did not hold on to that railing, he would have faced sudden death. Well, this morning, I want you to hold on or challenge you to stand firm that uh, strongly. Because if you do not hold on or stand firm in the gospel, you are going to perish, certainly. That, that is an image I want you to hold on to. I want you to hold on so close to the, the beauty and the power of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ that at the end of your life, they'd have to pry it off of your hands because of your faith in the Lord. J.C. Ryle, a pastor in England, said these words. He said, The saddest symptom about many so-called Christians is the utter absence of anything like conflict and fight in their Christianity. So many Christians are passive in the faith that we don't fight for our belief. We don't fight to hold on to that which is true, but we're passive. He said the saddest symptom among many so-called Christians is that they're not willing to fight for their belief. So 
So I pray that this message, that you would be encouraged to stand firm, to hold on to, to fight for the faith. If you want to follow along in the outline provided for you, it's a very simple outline today. I want you to stand firm in the gospel. First point, stand firm in the gospel of grace. Stand firm in the gospel of grace. Look with me again at verse 13. It says, But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. If you remember from last week, we looked at Paul talking about the Antichrist, the man of lawlessness, the man of destruction, who is going to come and deceive many in the church. Well, look with me at the text right above the one we're looking at this morning at verse 9. It says, The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan, with all power and false signs and wonders, and with wicked deception, For those who are perishing, because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Therefore, God sends them a strong delusion, so that they may believe what is false, in order that all may be condemned who do not believe the truth, but have pleasure in unrighteousness. Now, those who were listening to this letter read, they were naturally led to think, Am I going to be one of them who is going to be deluded in my thinking and to believe what is false? It's very natural. The the rise of tribulation comes. The Antichrist is going to deceive many. Will I myself be deceived? But then we see that contrast right there in verse 13. It says, but, okay, but we ought always to give thanks to God for you. He's trying to make a contrast that you are not like these people who are falsely deluded in their belief. You believe in the truth. It's almost the same exact language at, as 2 Thessalonians 1.3, which says we ought always to give thanks to God for you because your faith is growing abundantly and your love for all the saints is increasing and you are standing firm in the face of persecutions. This church is chosen by God. And he wanted to remind them, to, to reaffirm their faith. There's different times in our life where we kind of need an assuring word. Uh, So one book that's kind of made popular circles over the last 30 or 40 years uh, is Gary Chapman's The the Five Love Languages. Many of you have probably seen it. And one of those love languages is is the, the, the words of affirmation. Sometimes we need to be affirmed in our faith. We need to hear that we are loved, hear that we are, are cared about. And that's what Paul is doing here. Paul is affirming this church in their faith, saying, you, I give thanks to God for you. Now, in, in one three, he gives thanks for their growing faith, for their increasing love, and their standing in persecutions. But here, he doesn't primarily give thanks to God for them. He gives thanks to God for what God has done for them. This is the, the past tense view of salvation. Look with me in verse 13 again. It says, We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers beloved by the Lord, because. Why should we give thanks to God? Because God chose you. 
So in, in the midst of a congregation that is, that is alarmed, their faith is, is shaken. Some has, have kind of crept into the church and said, hey, the day of the Lord has already come. And some thought they missed the day of the Lord's coming. They, they were shaken. So Paul says, no, the day of the Lord is still coming. The Antichrist needs to be revealed. The tribulation must happen. But I want you to know that you've been chosen. You have been chosen by God. Paul reminds this church of God's election. We know from Philippians 1.6 that what God begins, God will complete. How many times do we think that we're not going to be able to make it, that we're not going to be able to finish this leg of our journey. And yet God says, I chose you. He chose you by His grace. In the Septuagint, which is the, the, the Bible that most of the, the New Testament writers would have had, the Septuagint was a Greek translation uh, written uh, in, in um, some time ago. <laughs> And what they, they would use this scripture. So in, in the Septuagint, Deuteronomy chapter 26, 18, this same word for chosen is used, uh, which may be where Paul is getting this idea from. And Deuteronomy 26, 18 reads, And the Lord has chosen thee this day, that thou should be him a peculiar or a special people, as he said, to keep his commandments. It's amazing that when this church is shaken, when this, when this church is being reminded that the end is going to come, what God does is He reminds them of His electing sovereign love. Now many of us think about the idea of election as, as something that's hard to understand. We always talk about free will and, and God's sovereignty. But when we read about it in the Scripture, it's always spoken about as an encouragement. God chose you. He chose you. You do not have to fear because God chose you. So turn in your scriptures to Matthew 24. I'm going to read the entirety of Matthew 24. And I want you to see that the idea of election is not something that we should be scared of, but we should rejoice in. We should not be scared of it, but we should rejoice in it. So Matthew 24, this is Jesus speaking about the end times, of what's going to happen at the end. And I just want you to, to, to hear the words of Jesus. Many modern scholars want to pit Paul against Jesus. Many people say that Paul spoke a different gospel than Jesus. And they, they spoke the same word. Look at Matthew 24, beginning in verse 1. Jesus left the temple and was going away when his disciples came to the point at the buildings of the temple. But he answered them, you see all these? Do you not? Truly I say to you, there will not be left one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And he sat on the Mount of Olives. The disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when will these things be? What will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? Very similar what Paul was talking about here to the church of the Thessalonians. Verse 4 says, And Jesus answered them, See that no one lead you astray. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ. And they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. And see that you are not alarmed. For this must take place. But the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. 
and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of birth pains. Then you will be delivered up to the tribulation and put you to death. And you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And become. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. Then the end will come. Now I'm going to continue reading, but here's what I want you to see. I want you to see that there's this warning not to be led astray. That there's going to be people coming with false words, with false doctrines, proclaiming false Christ. To try to lead you away from the faith. And, and Jesus and Paul says, be aware, do not be shaken, do not be alarmed, but do not be led astray. Look at verse 15. So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down to take what is in his house. Let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant, for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that, you, that your flight may not be in winter or on the Sabbath. For then there will be a great tribulation, such as has not been from the beginning of the world until now. No, never will be. And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. Here, Jesus But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe. For false Christ and false prophets will arise and perform many great signs and wonders, so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. What Jesus says here is that the elect will not be led astray. You are chosen by God. And what God starts, God will complete. So when the the tribulation is rising and there's false Christ uh, uh, appearing, saying false prophecy, the church is wondering, will I be led astray? And Paul says, you are chosen. You are chosen by God. The elect will not be led astray. You're chosen. So let us not make this doctrine of election a a controversial one. Let's rejoice that we who are in Christ have been chosen by God. So when the tribulation comes, we shall not fear because we have been chosen. Let me just finish this section of Matthew. We'll get back to 1 Thessalonians. Verse 26. So if they say to you, look, he is in the wilderness, do not go out. If they say, look, he's in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened. The moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven. The powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man. Then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. They will see the Son of Man coming on the cloud of heaven. 
clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of the heaven to the other. We do not have to be scared of doctrine. We do not have to be scared of election. God is trying to encourage your heart that when the day of trouble comes, you are safe because God has chosen you. That's what he's saying in 1 Thessalonians. In chapter 1, when he says that brothers loved by God, we know that he has chosen you. Because when our gospel came to you, it came not only in word, but in power. The power of the Holy Spirit with full conviction, with joy. Let's go back to 2 Thessalonians and see how Paul continues to encourage the church. So that's a past tense reading of, of the future. So we look back to what God has done for us. God has chosen us by His grace. Well, looking forward, God is also telling us to stand firm in the gospel of glory. Stand firm in the gospel of glory. So it says that God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through the sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this He called you through our gospel so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now it says, to be saved. Now I've said this multiple times, but just understand when, I, when we use the word salvation in the scripture, salvation is never a pastime, not only a pastime event. We are saved, we are being saved, and we will be saved. There's three aspects of salvation. So here, in the second half of verse uh, 13 and 14, it talks about to be saved. What is coming for the believer? It's this future glory that believers will receive when Jesus Christ will be revealed. When Jesus Christ will be revealed, he will take our lowly bodies and transform them to be like his glorious body. Philippians 3:21. He will take that which is mortal and close it with immortality, that which is perishable and close it with that which is imperishable. 1 Corinthians 15. And how does he do this? Through the sanctification by the Spirit. This is what happens for the believer. When you put your life and your hope into the Lord Jesus Christ, He saves you. Past tense. And then He works through His Spirit to make you holy. This is why, as a Christian, there is no salvation outside of repentance. If you do not repent of your sins and turn to Christ, there is no salvation. We must be a holy people, God says. Now, we're not saved by our works. We are saved by the work of Christ on the cross, His death and His resurrection. Yet, when we believe in that work, we will work for His glory. We will work to be changed by His Spirit. We will say no to the lust of the flesh. We will turn away from pornography. We will turn away from, from, from stealing or defrauding people with our, our money. We will honor our mother and father. We will live our lives in such a way that God would be honored. Because we are pictures of the resurrection in the flesh. Ambassadors of the Lord Jesus Christ. So through His Spirit, He, he will save us. And then it says, not only through the sanctification of the Spirit, but the belief in 
the truth. This is our challenge. The greatest work for the Christian is the fight to believe. You have to fight to believe. You have to hold on strongly to the gospel of grace and to the gospel of glory with all that you have. Because if you let go of it, you have no hope. Because you stand before God alone. Will you confess God before men? Will you confess that Jesus Christ is your king before men? I remember when I was in college and I ran a, uh, a Christian um, athletic Bible study. Met every, every Wednesday evening around 9 o'clock. And oftentimes I'd be going there and someone would stop me. And I'd say, hey, King, where are you going? And at that moment, what am I going to say? I'm going to Bible study. Would you like to come? Or I'm just going to go hang out with some athletes. I was, I was a relatively new believer, and every time that question was asked, I always had the temptation to say what? I'm just, I'm just going to go hang out with some athletes. Because I was afraid. I was afraid of testifying to the gospel of grace. Beloved, we have to hold on to that. We have, not, we have to live our lives that we are not ashamed of that gospel. So college students, when you're walking down the hall, or the hall, there isn't really a lot of halls there, right? The walk, if you will. And people are asking where you're going. Well, tell them, well, that, that, that analogy doesn't work. But just tell them about Jesus, okay? <laughs> tell them about Jesus. Beloved, we have to fight for our belief. We have to fight for our belief. Um, then it says, we, we kind of close with this. So we have the gospel, stand firm in the gospel of grace. Stand firm in the gospel of glory. And lastly, stand firm in the gospel given. Stand firm in the gospel given. This is really the, the, the summation of the whole talk. Look at there in verse four, 15. It says, So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by spoken word or by our letter." So he kind of sees three different aspects of salvation. So he kind of already tells us you've been chosen by God. That God's grace and God's grace alone shows you to be his special possession. Shows you to be a child of God. Past tense. And then he says, look forward to the glory that's coming. He has called you to the glory to that you may obtain the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ when he comes. And now here he's saying, well this is... If those two are true, if what, we, what has happened to us and what will happen to us are true, then you must stand firm in what you've received. You've already been given the gospel. You have to stand firm. Hold to the traditions that you have been taught. So what are the traditions that we've been taught? What, what must we hold to? We must hold to or stand firm in the teachings of Jesus Christ. We must believe in what God has revealed to us about Jesus Christ. If you want to go astray and believe in heresy, or go astray and, and turn away from a saving faith, the number one way to do it is to stop believing in the biblical Jesus. So the major cults of our day, the major false cults that teach false doctrines, Mormonism, Jehovah's Witness, Islam, all have a faulty view 
of Jesus Christ. So if you don't believe in the biblical teaching of Jesus Christ, you will drift away. We have to hold fast to that. This is why we're singing Christmas. I hope that you realize the doctrine that we're singing this Christmas season. I mentioned it on Wednesday night, but there's beautiful doctrine. We are singing about the hypostatic union of God. That Jesus Christ, born as a baby, fully God and fully man. Clothed in deity. But we we sing that. Those aren't just things that we sing. Those are doctrines and truths we believe in about Jesus Christ. 